What are you preparing for right now? Are you preparing for dinner or a trip? Or maybe you're preparing to get all of your crew back to school, which sometimes seems a little overwhelming. But today we're going to be talking about how to prepare for something a whole lot more fun. We're going to be talking about how to prepare physically and spiritually to receive more peace. Hi, and welcome to Magnify, an LDS Living podcast where we cheer, inspire, and embolden each other as women and followers of Christ. We hope to use our influence to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Katherine Davis, a mom, a seminary teacher, and a grilling enthusiast who loves God. With me today is Brooke Walker. Brooke is the host of The Family Rules on BYU TV, and if you live in Utah, you might know her as the host of Studio 5. So happy to have you here, Brooke. I am honored, Catherine Davis. I am so thrilled. Thanks for having me. Before we dive in, we want to get to know you a little bit better with some rapid-fire questions. You ready? Yeah, I I think so. You know, I usually ask the questions, so this is a very... (laughs) I'm feeling a little nervous and insecure, but I'm in your trusted hands. I'm in your good hands. You'll be great. You host a daily lifestyle show on KSL television, and you share lots of ideas and tips for living a happier and healthier life. So is there one that you've been thinking about lately or one that you've implemented into your life that really helps? Oh my gosh. We share a lot in our hour show each and every day, and I've been doing it for going on 18 seasons. So there's a lot of tips floating around in my brain. You know, one thing that shaped me, I don't want to go too sappy or too deep, but I had the opportunity a couple years back, it's been now, to interview uh, Lisa Valentine Clark and her husband, Christopher Clark, who who passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease. And I was struck by something that they told me. Lisa observed that when he was diagnosed, uh, Christopher started to be more affectionate in what he shared one to another, and that he got really comfortable with saying, I love you, to um, his friends and his buddies and to people that were in his circles. And that really impacted me. And so now I write a lot of emails every day, as I'm sure you do. Many women do. But I, from that point forward, I started to sign my emails, love, even my professional emails, love Brooke, like no best, no thanks, no sincerely. I started to sign, you know, I mean, maybe not to my boss's boss, but in most of even my professional correspondences now I'm writing love. And I, I, I say this because I reference it because just before this conversation, I was sending an email to someone new and I'm like, they're getting the love from me. Like I'm trying, I appreciated that example of his to share love more openly and more easily. And I do love and appreciate a lot of the people I'm working with and my colleagues and coworkers. So that came to mind, not a tip, but more of a practice. Okay. If you could only wear one color for the rest of your life, what color would that be and why? Easy. It would be a tomato orange, like a red tomato orange. I love vibrant. I'm, I'm very colorful. I love color. Um, So I would go, I can't say that it's red because I'm a BYU cougar and I bleed blue, but so I say tomato orange. It's like a reddish orange. Okay. If you could interview anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Oh my goodness. This was a question that I was really interested in. Alive or dead. I think from a spiritual sense, knowing that that is our theme and vibe today, I would have loved to interview President Hinckley. He was my my prophet, as we say, like growing up as a teenager, he was, he was my prophet in those shapeful years. And so I, I, he comes to mind. I also think, you know, in lifestyle television, which I've worked in for the past 18 years, we revere Oprah as the queen of all queens. And I think she would be an interesting person 
to interview just because she's a masterful interview herself. So there's a secular and a spiritual. How about that? So good. Well, I'm really excited to get to talk with you today. And as you know, <laughs> as you know, on the, this season of Magnify, we've been discussing the attributes of peacemakers, but today we're going to take a little turn and we're going to talk about how to receive more peace in our lives. And you have a really insightful take on peace. And you're proposing that it's something that we can prepare for both spiritually and physically. Yes. What started you thinking about peace as something we can prepare for? Well, it was actually this talk that you're shaping, you know, your theme and your conversations around this peacemakers needed by President Nelson. He referred to this idea that we need to control our emotions, right, in order to feel and present ourselves in a peaceful way, to feel peace and present ourselves in a peaceful way. And some of the emotions, you know, that he mentioned, I don't necessarily relate to. Like, I'm not feeling anger in my everyday life or hostility, thankfully, or contention in my everyday life. But I do sometimes feel like rushed and I feel frantic and I'm tapping my toes to get the, you know, the task in front of me done so I can get to the next task. And so I found myself thinking about what allows us to get in this place to first feel peace, because we've got to feel peace if we're going to make peace or present peace or be peaceful. And I found myself thinking about like this natural man, right? These beautiful but flawed physical bodies that were sent here in. And a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, the challenge to like, find peace and embody peace goes against the grain of that natural man. There was a quote that I, I heard, I mean, more than a decade ago, but I've clung to it and I remembered it. It was from um, Elder Eyring, President Eyring. And he said, there is greatness in greater harmony between our physical and spiritual selves. And so as I thought about this, like ultimately peace we know comes from living the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate source of peace. Um, but for me, at least, there's this small and temporal catch. Like we have, we have to live that gospel and keep our covenants in this mortal state. And so for me, it requires sort of this self-mastery to overcome the natural man, you know, our physical minds, our physical bodies, and let our spirit ultimately be in charge of what's happening. But that takes some preparation for me as a woman, a busy wife and mother. And, you know, uh, uh, as I work and I balance as we all do and juggle, that takes some physical preparation too, like to get my physical self in order to align my natural man in a way that allows my spirit to step forward and really be in charge of my existence here on this mortal journey. So it does become this balance, like this two-sided coin. Like I physically need to prepare for peace in order to spiritually feel the peace that President Nelson is asking us to feel. Well, it's what we've been told in the Doctrine and Covenants, that both the spirit and the body make up the soul. Yes. And so it's trying to get both of those to align. I love how Elder Irene said that in Beautiful Harmony. Right, right. It becomes this companion, this tandem effort and journey. And we often talk about like spirit mastery in reference to fasting, right? That's what I was taught as a young woman. Like part of fasting is the spirit showing the body who's in charge. But so many modern day trials come down to that. Like, am I going to allow my spirit, am I going to align my physical body, my physical self, my physical desires, my physical temptations? Am I going to let my spirit ultimately be in control? And for me, that that's where peace lies is in that balance and that harmony as President Eyring described it. Well, you've identified three ways we can prepare ourselves for peace. The first way you said is to read the book. To read the book. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So with each of these ideas, there's sort of a physical action and there's a spiritual action. And read the book kind of draws upon, it's a play on words, but it draws upon an experience I had many, many years ago, a professional experience where I was going to interview a celebrity author, a well-known personality, no name dropping here, but they had written a book and they were stopping in Salt Lake City. 
And they, you know, set up a situation, an opportunity where all of these reporters to come to the same hotel, we line up in the hallway, we each get five to 10 minutes, like a little junket of, of sorts. And so I was waiting outside for my turn to go in and interview. And I was seated next to a colleague, someone from a rival television station who I didn't know well, but wasn't exactly giving me the warm fuzzies. You know what I mean, Catherine? And so we're yeah. sitting there and in my lap was the book that this individual had written that we were about to talk about. And, and, and the person next to me leaned over and said, kind of condescending, uh, oh, cute, you read the book. Because my book was dog-eared and written and the pages were crumpled. And, and that's how I operate. I do read the book. Like authors know when they come on my show, they're not going to be asked, why did you write the book? I'm going to go to page 67 and I'm going to extract a thought or an idea or a follow-up question. And in that moment, I kind of felt a little sheepish and silly and insecure. Like part of TV is kind of just going with it and faking it. But I owned it. And I said, I did read the book and I loved it. And so I bring that up as a way to prepare for peace, because I think there's something to be said about doing the work. No shortcuts, you know, no hacks. I mean, we live in this world where thoughtful preparation is sort of shortchanged. Like we're seeking off, seeking out shortcuts or we're brushing off shortcomings or looking for the latest hack. Or the, but I think there is such wisdom and ultimately such peace in like doing the work, in reading the book, in throwing yourself into an activity. And I, listen, I, like you, I'm a busy mom and I'm, I'm trying to get things done too. So yeah, give me cake from a box, give me dinner from a box, give me dry shampoo. But I think there are times when like thoughtful preparation really matters, like throwing yourself into the effort or the work or the challenge in a slow paced, steady way, allowing it to work over you. I think peace comes from that preparation. So read the book, the spiritual application of that. Though, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about that spiritual application. I mean, read the book, read the book, read the Book of Mormon, right? We're told that over and over that peace comes from the pages of the Book of Mormon. And I'm preaching to myself. I'm taking a dose of my own medicine here because a constant, you know, disciplined pattern of scripture study has not always been my strong suit. And it's something I'm still constantly trying to fit in and work in and settle into. But I interviewed President Camille Johnson last October, and I was so struck with something she said. I asked her, Something about, the question was around the idea of, listen, women are busy. What's one thing we can do today to, you know, find peace, to strengthen our testimonies, to build ourselves up? One little thing in the, in the hurry scurry of our lives. And her answer was so impressive to me, in part because it was so instantaneous and it was so passionate. Um, she said this, read the Book of Mormon every single day. It has the power to comfort us, to warm our souls and to provide us with peace. For the women out there looking to do one thing today, she said, open the book. So I think there's a physical application. There's a spiritual application. Do the work. You know, a lot of times I sit in Sunday school and think we're so good at listening to other people who have read the book, talk about it, you know, and from podcast. I mean, there's so many great resources out there to enhance our study. But like, are we actually reading the book? Yeah, I've thought so much about that, especially because I obviously I love podcasts. And so sometimes I would listen to podcasts before I would go into the scriptures. And I thought, I need to just go into the scriptures and see yeah. what the spirit teaches me and do the work myself and then supplement where needed. But I think sometimes you're right. We're looking for the quick fix or the easy way. And we've got to get into the book. I love that. Read the book. It's one way that I find, you know, there's that physical and spiritual preparation for peace. So next you say we need to carve out white space. What is white space? 
Okay, so white space, again, physical and spiritual application here. But white space is, is, you know, we have to look at our surroundings. At least I find it's helpful to look at my surroundings and make sure that they're, they're peaceful. Elder Jeffrey Holland counseled us to cultivate and be where the spirit of the Lord is and make sure that includes your home. For me, you know, I'm not counting pillows here on anyone's sofa or bed, but for, to me, there's like a physical peace that can come from a simplified space. Um, I come from a, a proud line of educators. My mom and my sister were both just brilliant, creative, sparkly, fun elementary school teachers. And so many of our summers have been spent preparing their classrooms. And they do these, they did these darling themes. And I remember one year we were doing a circus theme in my sister's kindergarten classroom. And so I was striping the walls with red and white stripes. <laughs> there were balloons and clowns. And my sister and my mom started to get after me day after day because I spent a lot of my time kind of clucking around the classroom making piles and cleaning off tables. And I'm like, can you just get the job done before you clean up? But I think there's something about that simplified white space around us, like giving yourself that physical breathing room. We know our surroundings affect how we feel. We know our surroundings research shows affects how we act. And so I think creating that white space physically does something for me as I'm trying to bring peace into my home, as Elder Holland advised us to do and peace to my family. And the spiritual side of that is is pretty obvious as well, but like seek out the white space. I think there's a reason why the temple is often quoted as such a jolt and charge of peace in our lives. Um, and I think it's also, you know, we're not used to quiet. Like, like I'll walk down the aisles of the grocery store and there's so many people with ear pods in just strolling aisle six, right? As they, as they fill their cart. And I think sometimes, you know, if young people often will say, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable in the temple. It doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't immediately feel comfortable. And I think part of that is the silence. Like we're not used to the stillness. We're not used to the quiet. So Brooke, let me ask you, what if you feel like you can't carve out white space? Like, let's talk first physically. What if you feel like you live with a number of other people, children or <laughs> or a husband, and I'm not speaking from experience at, not all, at all, not at all, who are messy or there's clutter everywhere? Like, where would you start to, to physically carve out a white space? I would say pick one space. Is that a chair for you in your room? Mm -hmm. Is that a corner where you are cracking open the scriptures? Is that a section of the kitchen counter where people, your teenagers are gathering and collecting and talking and sharing with you at the end of the day? Like just find one little space in your home that can be that, that, that corner or that nook of peace for you. Um, listen, I've got four kids under eight, so I get the clutter. I get the clutter game and, and clutter is happiness in a lot of ways, right? It represents a busy, you know, full yeah. hustling home. But I think finding at least one area or two areas of your home that feel calm to you, those are the places I gravitate to when I need that peace or when I need that recharge. And I love that idea of a scripture chair yes, that you mentioned. Perfect. I had that when my kids were really little, just one, one spot where I felt like that is where I could go. And it was just yeah. a chair. We have, you know, it's, it's formally known as what the visiting teaching room. There's always a room. It seems in a house with a piano or a formal couch that we really never go into. My husband goes in ours all the time. And at first it kind of bothered me. Like, please don't mess up the pillows. They're the, all, it's the only area. It's that perfect has, in there. Don't breathe. Don't touch. Um, but I've actually come to appreciate that. Like he goes in there and the kids will find him. And that's where these cute little conversations happen or these little cuddle moments. Or So I think using those spaces as well, those more formal spaces and informal ways is another way to find that peaceful place for you. Well, what about spiritually speaking? How, if your life is pretty chaotic and busy, 
What are simple, easy ways that we could carve out spiritual white space? One of my places for spiritual white space is the car. And I know this is maybe an obvious one, but every morning on the way into the studio, I'm listening to a conference talk. It's kind of my daily meditation. I listen to you sometimes too, Catherine, on the way in. I love listening to this podcast and hearing women share their testimonies here too. But I think even finding unconventional, you know, uh, unusual places to capture it, it doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be designated. Of course, it's nice when we can carve out a couple of hours to go to the house of the Lord and feel the intense white space that, that that's waiting for us there. But I think as, as Elder Holland challenged, even our homes can provide these little nooks or these little opportunities for white space or for peace. Mine, especially when my kids were little and on my mission, my mission president said, find a place where you can be alone. And I thought, I, there's nowhere. I have right. this companion with me all the time. Where am I yes. supposed to be alone? And so I went into the bathroom and I could close the door and that became a personal haven for me. And it continued with young kids. Like I could close the door, even though their fingers might be sticking underneath the door at times. Yeah. It was still just a moment yeah. where I could find, I love how you said that white space. Yeah. Physical and spiritual. We need more white space. So good. Okay. The third way you say we can prepare for peace is to anticipate it. Now, this sounds really fun to me. What do you mean by anticipate it and how do we do it? Well, here's what we know. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises and he has promised us peace. So I think from a physical standpoint, I think we have to be looking for it. Um, What you pay attention to expands. And I I host a show, as you mentioned, on BYU TV called Family Rules, and we get a chance to travel the country and kind of peek in on families. The idea is no family is perfect, but every family has one little thing they're doing well or getting right. And there was a family a couple seasons ago from Mesa, Arizona, who jumped out at me. They had six or seven kids under the age of 10. I mean, a really young, busy family. I know we all take deep breaths, right? We're like, like, we know what that means. We know what that means. Um, but this mom was really intentional about choosing to find peace. Like even in the chaos and the busy throes of family life, she would look for it on the daily. And I think, again, what we look for, we can expect to find. Now, on the other side of that, I recently talked to a woman who is a newly minted empty nester and she's experiencing the opposite. She's experiencing a lot of calm and quiet. And she very tenderly and tearfully told me that's not feeling peaceful to her either. Like she desperately misses, you know, the busy chaos that she was so used to. And so I think it's important to recognize that peace and quiet aren't always bound together. In fact, photographer and writer Mark Mabry once said, peace doesn't always mean quiet and quiet doesn't always mean peace. But no matter the noise level, I think we can anticipate peace in our lives if we look for it, like looking at our seasons and our rhythms, where in my day to day can I anticipate peace and welcome it? So today, Brooke, where have you anticipated peace or where will you anticipate peace? You know, peace is small and it can be fleeting. The car ride in, I listened to a devotional. That was peace. Um, My chubby little two-year-old wrapping her arms around my neck before I left for the studio this morning. That was peace. I hope you don't mind me sharing. Catherine, you offered a beautiful prayer before our conversation today. That was peace. And I think recognizing it, you know, I, I, I feel similarly about looking for God's love in our life. Like if we start to look for it in all the little ways, it adds up in profound ways over the course of even just a day. So it's the small and simple ways. And at night, as I lay in bed, I like to kind of go through a highlight reel of my day and think, 
where was the peace? Where was the love? Because it all kind of lands heavy at the end of the night. But as you look for those little deposits, you'll find your bank account is so full and you are so rich of these peace pockets if we're just anticipating them and, and being open to them in our busy lives. I believe that, that you find what you look for. Yes. So if we're looking for peace, if we're looking for God's hand, we will see it and we'll begin to see it more. But I think it's interesting that you said you have to review it at night. Because mm-hmm. do you always notice it in the moment or do you have to sometimes play it back? It's that pace, right? It's that pace of our yeah. world. And it's the demands on us that are so multi-layered and multifaceted. But sometimes in the moment, you don't always see it or feel it. But I think reflection is a powerful tool. I think reflection is a tool we can use to drum up this peace or to draw on the spirit at the end of the day and say, no, it was there. It was there. And the more we look for it, I think the easier it is to see it in the moment day to day. Hopefully that grows and that muscle you know, those lenses get sharper and stronger as we look for it and look back on it. Well, I think it's helpful to remember too, what you said earlier is that God is a promise keeper. Yes. He keeps his promise and he has promised us that we are entitled to peace. Yes. In fact, President Nelson said this, God lives. Jesus is the Christ. He stands at the head of this church. We are his servants. He will help us to become his peacemakers. Mm. Brooke, how do you find ways to trust that God will bring you peace? It's in words. It's in actions. Um, you know, the same conference that, that President Nelson gave this, this landmark address, President Eyring also gave a beautiful companion sermon. And I think, I think it was called Finding Personal Peace. And in his talk, he referred to peace as a miracle. And I remember at the time I thought, well, that's a little dramatic to call peace a miracle. But truly, really, I started to think about it. And our world is so fast paced and so demanding and so noisy that it does feel like peace is a miracle and, and sometimes trusting that it will come throughout through that noise and through that, you know, hustle and bustle um, does feel like a really grand gift. And I think ultimately, you know, we're sent here to be more like our heavenly father. I have to think peace. I like to think of peace anyway, as one of his shining standout characteristics, like he is a peaceful God. He's a peaceful father. And, you know, we're experiencing a, a somewhat of a, a tender health crisis in our family right now. My brother-in-law was recently diagnosed with a late stage cancer. And I have marveled watching him and my sister, um, you know, with one foot solidly in faith, they're being very bold in what they ask of our loving Heavenly Father. The other foot is solidly placed in reality, knowing the diagnosis and, and what lies ahead. And they don't, actually don't know a lot is the catch. They don't know a lot. There's a lot of question marks. The doctors don't know a lot. But one thing they know and, and this is what I've marveled in watching both of them navigate this trial together is they know and expect God will provide peace. So when you ask, where is the trust? The trust sometimes comes in that extension of faith when we're put in situations or scenarios where we might question it for a minute, but I've watched them just boldly press forward and anticipate, you know, they don't know a lot, but they can anticipate that we will feel peace in this journey, no matter where it takes us and no matter when or how it ends. And I admire them for that. I think that is the ultimate demonstration of faith and trust in Heavenly Father and knowing that he has promised us many things, but among those things, peace, he's promised us peace. And it might not, it might not, you know, we might not feel it in its fullness today. We might not feel it in its fullness tomorrow, but the miracle of peace, as President Eyring described it, the miracle of peace is promised to us. And so expecting it and trusting that it will ultimately come, I think is part of our faith experience here on this earth. So Brooke, when is a time that you've felt peace, even in an unpeaceful situation? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I and mean, we could point to sacrament meeting. 
with a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a six-year-old. You know, there's those moments. I, again, it goes to peace not always being quiet. I also think back to a time, if I'm dipping into the archives, in my late 20s, where I was in the dating pool for way too long, Miss Catherine. And there was loneliness in that, right? And, and sometimes I think that that quiet, going back to that quiet, isn't always peace. It's hard to sometimes feel peace when you're feeling an emptiness or a void. And that applies to a lot of different scenarios and situations. But I remember one particular Sunday where I wasn't able to get home for a family dinner to my parents' house. And I didn't have any sort of social or friend gathering to go to. My my little townhouse that I, I occupied as a, as a single late 20-something was feeling really eerie and, and not peaceful. And I offered a simple prayer in the moment. I wasn't even kneeling. It wasn't even formal, but it was kind of a toss-up. And within 10 seconds, my doorbell rang and there was someone at my door to fill that void. And so I think peace, you know, can come in unexpected moments. I think can come in unexpected, you know, facets and corners of our lives, but it will come. And so it's looking again for those, it's having that expectation and looking for those opportunities and recognizing that peace can take different shapes and forms, but he's promised it and and, and it, and it will be delivered. And I think that's such a fun way to look at it, right? That anticipate the peace. And and I think of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when they were trying to row towards Jesus and there was the storms all around and they were rowing and rowing and rowing all night long. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he's he's on the side and he's watching and the peace doesn't come till later until like the fourth watch of the night. Right, right. We believe in a fourth watch God that sometimes... It takes a while till that peace comes, but the peace is promised and anticipate it and look for it. Yeah. And, and again, it came, you know, as, as we think of Christ kind of rebuking the waters in Mark, where he said, peace, be still. He was speaking to the ocean, but what a kind of a passive aggressive nod to his apostles too, like, be still, be still. I'm here and, and peace will come. Peace is in the stillness, peace is in the trust, peace is in the faith, peace is even in the chaos. I mean, peace is there. And if we look for it, we can count on it. So good. And I I think I need to do a better job of anticipating it and carving out that white space for that peace to come. Me too. It's it's an ongoing quest. Well, Brooke, I have learned so much from you today. And we love to end every episode with a small and simple challenge, something that we can do to apply the things that we've learned into our lives throughout the week. So what is your small and simple challenge for us this week? Hmm. I will say, I mean, we could throw a dart at the board, anything we've talked about, but I would say if we go for that white space, why don't we make our beds and why don't we open the book? Two simple things we can do, right? Make your bed, open the book. At the end of the day, if you've done nothing else, I guess love your kids too. We can, we can go for a trio. I'm cheating the question. But I think again, it's those small and simple things. Make your bed, that that white space around you will set the tone for the spirit to take over as we open the book and find promises of peace and power in the peace that those pages hold. So good. And it doesn't matter how long you're in that open book, right? I hope not because some nights I'm only a verse or two deep. (laughs) But you're in the book. Yeah. You're leaning in and putting in the effort. I love that. I'm trying. So good. Brooke, thank you so much. Catherine, thank you. I adore you. I love the conversations you have here. And it really was an honor to be a part of one. Brooke had so many great insights and lessons for us to learn. But one thing that she said that will stay with me is that we need to read the book, that we need to lean into the effort. Sometimes I think we shy away from effort 
but we need to do the effort, open the book, and find the peace. Thank you for being here and hop on over to Instagram at Magnify Community for more inspiration and conversation. And of course, subscribe and listen to the Magnify podcast wherever you get your shows. See you next week.